0: And may I expound it now in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Elizabeth, for reading that extraordinary passage of 1 Corinthians. Why don't Christians just keep quiet about the death of Jesus? Why don't we just hush up? Why don't we hush it up and shut up about it? Now, that question might not strike us as particularly important because, thankfully, our guts don't tell us what crucifixion means. In the days of Jesus, of course, and in those first generation of his messengers, everybody could visualize it. They could visualize the horrific scenes of the broken bodies of slaves and rebels. They could recall the sounds of victims tortured to their death. They could smell the decaying flesh left over after the birds had pecked out the eyes. No wonder the Roman statesman Cicero could write The very word, cross, should be removed, not only from the person of a Roman citizen, but from his thoughts, his ears, his eyes, and his ears. And as for the crucified people themselves, well, listen to these words of historian Tom Holland. He says, criminals broken on implements of torture. Who were such filth to concern people? of breeding and civility. Some deaths were so vile, so squalid, that it was best to draw a veil across them entirely. So why don't Christians, why didn't the Christians hush up Jesus' death on the cross? Why instead preach it as our main theme well, welcome back to our autumn awesome series of sermons on 1 Corinthians. Paul, one of Jesus' authorised eyewitness messengers, is writing to the troubled church in the Greek city of Corinth. And the basic problem there is that the status-obsessed Corinthian culture was seeping into the church's life. And as a result, the church had splintered into parties. So the culture of Corinth, as we saw last week, idolised high-status speakers, orators, and each party in the church, each of these different parties, promoted itself by boasting of its association with one of these particular Christian preachers. So, I follow Paul, said one of them, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter, even I follow Christ. So, how do you solve a problem like the Corinthian church? Well, the answer is, as Paul begins to do that, he sets before them Christ crucified. Just look at verse 17. I hope perhaps you've got the the Bible open. It's on page 1250 because it's such an important text uh, to get our heads and our hearts into. So he moves in the direction of the cross in verse 17. So the question is, is Paul in the same game as those celebrity speakers in Corinth? Absolutely not says Paul, to play that game, to wow audience with my words, would be, as he puts it, look at verse 17, he says, it would be to empty the cross of Christ of its power. Now, why is that? Why would trying to wow the audience uh, frustrate the power of the cross? Why can't a preacher both aim to to, to do a bit of both. Why can't a preacher say, well, today I want to both impress the crowd and proclaim the cross powerfully. Well, verse 18 begins to lay out the shattering answer to that question. Look at it, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, there is a double-sided principle here that we have to grasp. Wherever we are in our relationship to God, wherever we are, whether you, if you're seeking God, then this principle will help you find him. If you think that you have found God, then this principle will test whether you really have or not. And if you really have found him, then this principle will thrill you and humble you. <laughs> in equal measure. So here's the principle. Here it is. By the message of the cross, God does two things at the same time. On the one hand, he thwarts human wisdom and power. On the other, he saves believers by his own wisdom and power. Let me say that again. By the message of the cross, God does two things at the same time. On the one hand, he thwarts... Human power and wisdom. On the other hand, he saves believers by his own wisdom and power. Now just an overview of this passage versus, um, that, we've, that Elizabeth just read. Verses 18 and 25 really state and explain the principle, and that is where we are going to spend just about all our time this morning. But having stated the principle, then he goes on to offer two demonstrations of that principle in action. He shows, first of all, how it shapes the profile of the Corinthian church, and then second, how it shapes his own preaching, and I'll highlight those briefly at the end. But let's explore the principle. Why does the cross thwart human wisdom and power, and save believers by God's wisdom and power at one and the same time? Well, it's because that's how God's deliberately set things up, that's the Straightforward, immediate answer. Look at verse 19. The message of the cross is foolishness according to human wisdom. Why? Because, listen to what God has said, quoting from Isaiah. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Now, don't get the wrong idea here. It's... Our brains are a gift from God, and, he honor, and it honours it, him when we use them. And there's lots of ways we can use our brains, which are wonderful. But there is one use of the brain that God, frankly, I don't, I don't say that, I'm just, this is biblical language, that God hates. He hates. He hates the way we attempt to find out the truth about him on our own when we try and figure him out by our own power of our reasoning, by the sharpness of our observation, by our skillful description, you might think, well, how, why why does he resist that so adamantly? Well, just think about it, though. Would you be happy for other people to presume that they knew you without meeting you and letting you show them yourself on your own terms. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be happy. So suppose just, just, uh, just sort of suppose that you applied for a job and the prospective employer just does a sort of quick online research and based on that contacts a couple of people who they reckon might know you. They don't even bother to read your own application form, let alone meet you for an interview, and decide, well, you're no good. Misunderstood. It would be incredibly frustrating to be treated like that. It's not fair. We want to be known on our own terms. See, we can't expect to know a fellow human being without them making themselves known to us. And so we really can't expect to know the infinite creator God unless he chooses the terms on which he introduces himself to us. Yet as a human race, we repeatedly make the attempt to figure him out. um, In other ways than the one he has revealed to us. So there's the high-blown version which uses philosophy or science or whatever to ponder his existence or not. And then there's the sort of the homespun version that just says, well, I, 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 I just like to think of God in the way that makes sense to me. Well, God won't have it. Absolutely won't have it. And that's why he has gone so far as actually to make a fool of all human attempts to think our own way to him. Listen to the Apostle Paul, verse 20. Listen to what he says. Verse 20. Where is the wise man then? If God cuts off and frustrates the wisdom of the wise, where's the wise man? Where's the scholar? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of of the world? The answer to the rhetorical question being yes, he has. And he has done it through sending into the world a message that sounds absolutely ridiculously foolish. Verse 21 For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what we preached, to save those who believe. And you see the principle that we're talking about there? God wisely prevents the world from knowing him by its own wisdom. And instead, he saves people through the preaching of a message that, according to worldly wisdom, is just stupid, foolish. Because to worldly wisdom, the cross is Foolish. It's ridiculous. A God who saves people, not by some great feat of strength, but by some feat of weakness and defeat. Who can accept that? That the infinite creator should choose to become a broken human being on a despised instrument of torture. And why? Well, so the message of the cross goes. He does it to stand in the place of Sinful humanity, the righteous God acting on behalf of unrighteous man to reconcile us to heaven. Who can accept that? Well, I tell you, no self respecting person can accept this insult to their pride. It is an insult to our pride because we say, well, hang on, surely I'm not so lost that I can only be saved through that. Through that horrid, shameful event. Are you really telling me that my whole life and death depend on an event so appalling that decent people wouldn't even want to think about it? Is am I really that lost? It's an insult to our pride. Well, we talked earlier on about how all this sounded in the early days. There's a piece of graffiti up there, which they don't know the exact date. It was sometime in the first 200 years after Jesus. There's the original version. It's from, it's from the bottom of the Palatine Hill in Rome. And on, the, on your left, you can see the, that that's the version on the wall. And it's made more clear there on the, the right. It's a bit of graffiti um, from the early days. And it's mocking a Christian named Alexander. So you can see there, the mockery, there's a donkey on the cross. And there's a worshipping man standing next to it with his arm raised. Um, That's Alexander, the the guy who's being mocked. And the caption at the bottom reads, Alexander worships his God. (laughs) Can you see? It's absolute biting satire. It's saying this this is insane. A crucified God Absolutely ridiculous. And the eternal Son of God crucified for the world. Well, worldly wisdom still recoils. This is what Richard Dawkins, I mean, you can take examples right all down the centuries. This is what Richard Dawkins says about it, the famous atheist um, who many of you will have heard on, on, a, on the media and other, other places, read his books maybe. He says this He says, The doctrine of the atonement, which is basically the message of Christ crucified for us, the doctrine of the atonement, he says, which Christians take very seriously indeed, is so deeply, deeply nasty that it deserves to be savagely ridiculed. That's how the world responds to the cross. Instinctively. He's he's just got the the, 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 the articulate mind to, to say it. But that's worldly wisdom's response to the cross. It's absolutely ridiculous. By God's design, you see, the cross fails every human test of what is wise and powerful. Verses 22 to 23 make that point in a way that is so hard to forget when you really grasped it. Look at it. Verses 22 to 23. Jews demand signs, miraculous signs, and the Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Greeks or it's the Gentiles. Now, the the Jews and Greeks, Gentiles, that basically sums up the whole of Paul's audience. Jews, on the one hand, and non-Jews. And those different groups tended to make different demands. So the Jews, they knew the stories of God's power, and they wanted a sign to demonstrate God's reality. The idea that the only sign God would give them is himself, the God of Israel, dying on a cross, well, that was blasphemy. It was madness. And then those cultured Greeks, well, they cherish brilliant arguments, powerful speech, and they demand a captivating case for God's reality. The idea that the true God can only be known by a cross, well, is beyond contempt. And that's not only because crucifixion was so hideous. Consider this as well. See, if God can only be known in what looks like foolishness, then our wisdom, whatever wisdom we think we possess, must be empty. If real wisdom looks foolish to us, then we must be fools. That's the the, the thing. It's an insult to us. Um, So my friend, good friend Steve Nichols, He's a very good friend of mine from many years back. He puts it much better than I could ever put this. Listen, written in blood, on a wooden beam, the cross tells us that we're not wise enough to know him. We're not strong enough to save ourselves. It's true. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the, uh, the German pastor, Lutheran pastor, who um, in the end was, was killed by, as a martyr by the Nazis, Um He said this, he said the cross is God's truth about us. It's God's truth about God, but it is also God's truth about us in that it reveals our foolishness and our impotence to find God without the cross. It's the truth about us and it's not very flattering. And I know that, I know that in my, just my own experience as a, as a preacher and a minister. The atmosphere in the room changes. So suppose you're, you're speaking at a nice event like the carol service or an after-dinner talk or something like that, and you bring up the fact that we need to put our trust in Jesus and his death on the cross for our sins because, uh, because without it we're perishing. You bring that up and you can feel the atmosphere bristle. Now it's possible to preach a version of Christianity without the offense of the cross, it is possible to do that. Um, there's a way of speaking about God and morality and charity that the world will bear with. Um, John Newton is often so helpful to me. Um, and, uh, by the way, next, in the evening next week, I'm going to be speaking about John Newton. I'm going to be giving a talk that I go to the Contact Club a few weeks ago to the evening service people next week. I love John Newton. 250 years ago or so, Um, Times don't change. Listen, what he said, he said this, he said, said, you know, people will bear a certain, you know, watered-down message of Christianity, but if we tell both the good people and the bad people that unless they are saved by faith in Christ, they will perish under God's judgment forever, he said, this is the thing, I love this old language, we shall be called knaves or fools or uncharitable bigots and 20 harsh names. For depend on it, the, cross, the offense of the cross is not ceased. It's absolutely right. has not ceased. So the question is then, why did Paul insist on preaching the cross? Well, because, verse 18 again, look at the second half of verse 18, the message of the cross, yes, it's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Again, verse 24, same thing. To those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks... We preach the cross because it is Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So just remember that principle we're grappling with. Remember, here's the principle. By the message of the cross, God does two things at the same time. On the one hand, he thwarts human wisdom and power. On the other hand, he saves believers by his own wisdom and power. So what we're saying, really, is that God shuts off doomed paths. The dune paths that human beings cut through the bush to try and find him. He cuts that off. He makes it impossible that we can take it. And he comes to us, though, instead. He meets us. He says, I'll meet you at one place. One place only. The cross. And at that place, the news is better than we could possibly imagine. See, at the cross, almighty God saves people. By his own wisdom and power, and as we preach Christ crucified, now all these years later, still God's wisdom and God's power flow into people's lives when they believe the message. So I can remember um, the power—that power and wisdom first coming to me when I was 14 um, on a summer camp down in Somerset, when I first was—it was first proclaimed to me, really explained clearly to me that that. um, that God loved me, that He had shed His blood for me, despite the fact that I, was, I could, wasn't bright enough to figure Him out or good enough to impress Him, but that He had shed His blood for me. And the message of Christ crucified, do um, you know it? Because it, it is still, it remains the channel of God's power into our lives long afterwards, the, the, the message of Christ crucified, it breaks in us, that pride, which is the very enemy of our lives, and brings to us, conveys to us, imparts to us the power of the Holy Spirit. So look, we've just spent almost all our time this morning looking at this key principle. Here it is again, I'm going to say it again. By the message of the cross, God does two things at the same time. He thwarts human power and wisdom... And he saves believers by his own power and wisdom. Well, uh, all too briefly now, let me just mention two demonstrations of that principle in action that Paul gives to the Corinthians here. First, he points to the Corinthians themselves. What kind of people were they in the church who believed his message? Well, he says, (laughs) quite frankly, you're not the elite. You are not the high-status people of Corinth. No, it was ordinary people. Many of you, weak. Frankly, he says to them, some of of you are nobodies in the eyes of the world. But then again, that's exactly what you'd expect of the preaching of Christ crucified, because the top people tend to consider the message way beneath them. Um, The cross seems ridiculous. And so they remind me a little bit of drowning sailors in the sea refusing the only lifeboat there is, because the lifeboat's not quite to their taste. But those who know they've got nothing to boast about um, in themselves are, odds on, much more likely to take the lifeboat. So it's no surprise that the church in Corinth didn't contain many A-listers in its membership list. Though no, the social mix of the Corinthian church, it had the cross of Christ written all over it. Okay, that's the first demonstration, the Corinthians themselves. What about a second demonstration? Well, it's all to do with the way Paul preached in Corinth. Did he come with great fanfare and self-confident, sort of, you know, wowing the crowds with his oratory? No. Verses 2, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness. So in other words, Paul says, look, my style fitted the message. The message of the cross thwarts human wisdom and power. So I didn't come to you with human wisdom and power. I came instead trusting the Holy Spirit to work powerfully through the message of the cross to those who believe. And the fact that the Corinthian church was formed is clear demonstration. The fact there was a church there at all that God's power was unleashed through the message of the cross. So let me restate this principle that we've been thinking about this morning. See if you, can, if you can lodge it in your mind. Two things the cross does at the same time. It thwarts human wisdom and power. It saves believers by God's own wisdom and power. There's lots of implications here, absolutely loads. I've barely skimmed this passage, really. Let me just point out one. Uh, remember why Paul's telling the Corinthians all of this. Remember, it's a practical reason. They are obsessed with status and they're divided as a result. But the, you see, the, the point is that the cross of Christ, Christ crucified, if you set him before you, well, that abolishes the whole status competition. What, it, Christ has done away with the pecking order. He's, he's taken the piece of paper with the pecking order on, screwed it up, and burned it. It's gone. And the point is that, again, frankly, we, we, I, can care every bit as much about the pecking order and status as the Corinthians did. But God has made a mockery of it. He made a mockery of human wisdom and power. So why be concerned as to whether we have more or less of it? He has revealed true power and wisdom. Where? The cross. In the cross of Christ. So humble yourself then. Me too and receive Christ crucified with faith and joy as we pray now, as we come to communion in a moment, which, of course, is really setting the cross of Christ before us. Let's always, always hold before our hearts and our minds, Christ crucified. Let us pray. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you would teach us this principle, um, not as just a piece of information, but as something that shapes our own self-understanding, our own life in community, our own understanding ultimately of you and your ways. Rewire our minds and hearts by the wisdom of Christ crucified. This we ask in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen.